Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about traditional jam making the old-fashioned way, part two in this series. And this is going to be more on troubleshooting tips. And so making homemade jam and jelly at home is something I think every homesteader, every home really, not just homesteader, should know how to do. It helps preserve our fruit for year-round eating, doesn't contain high fructose corn syrup or other icky chemical preservatives that some of the store-bought varieties do. And it's frugal. And this is especially true when you grow the fruit yourself. And most importantly, it plain tastes amazing. There is nothing as good as homemade jam and jelly. Because as much as I love making things healthy, traditional, and frugally at home and from scratch, if it doesn't taste good, then no one is going to want to eat it. And that kind of defeats the purpose, right? At least it does at my house. Because if it doesn't taste good, then I'm not going to get my family to eat it. I can try and force them, but it's just not going to go good. So I try to make sure that everything that I do at home, that it is healthy and frugal and from scratch, but that it still tastes good. And making jam and jelly is a great beginning canner project because you can make it in small batches and it's safe to be water bath canned. So if you're new to canning, I really like to do homemade jam and jellies because it actually is better to make it in a small batch And nothing gives you a boost of confidence to keep growing in your canning abilities when you look at a beautiful jewel tone jar of home can jam or jelly, especially when you hold it up to the light. I'm telling you, it's like a work of art. I might think I'm a little weird, (laughs) but I promise I will go in and just look at my pantry shelves and the pretty jars of jams and jelly sitting on the shelves sometimes. So I hope I'm not the only, um, person who does that. Otherwise, I might have just got a little too personal with you guys. (laughs) And so I want to share with you today 10 traditional jam making troubleshooting tips. So there's a bit of a science behind getting jam and jelly to set or the gel. So in canning speak, when we say set or gel, that just means that it's not like runny goopy syrup, that it actually is set and is firm. And there's nothing worse than when you send up to out to make jam and you go through the work of doing it and then you end up with syrup. Unless, of course, you are trying to make syrup, but usually when you're making jam, you're not. But both are tasty and they pair great with ice cream like nobody's business. So even if you do end up with more syrupy jam or jelly, it's not always a bad thing. But I will give you these tips so you don't end up with syrup unless you intentionally set out to make it. So one of the biggest culprits of jam and jellies not setting is actually trying to make up a too big of a batch at once. And when I first started making homemade jam and jelly about oh my, probably about 13 years ago, that was what I tried to do. I just thought, oh, well, I'm just going to save time and I'm going to triple this batch on up. And yeah, it just doesn't really work. So take my advice and don't do it. And it's, it's generally not recommended to double a batch. And I know this seems like, well, it's the same ratio of ingredients, so it should be okay. But just trust me, more often than not, you're going to end up with a runny end product if you do that. It just won't set. However, the caveat to that is if you are using pominous pectin, they give directions for double or tripling batches, but that is the only, and that's when you're using a store-bought pectin and only the pominous pectin that that is recommended for. Um, If you're using just regular store-bought commercial pectin or the homemade jam and jelly recipes that I use the most, which are the traditional ones that don't use store-bought pectin, you can't double them. They're not going to set up as well. So going into that. Now, We're going to go into a little bit of science here, and that's how your jams and jellies actually set or your fruit preserves, um, those 
so to understand why a jam and jelly doesn't set, we kind of have to look at what creates them to gel or set in the first place. And it's kind of a, it's a trinity of three things. It's the amount of sugar, it's the pectin and acid that works together to create the gelling point. So there's an actual chemistry with molecules behind it that you can read. And so I've actually did a link to the molecular structure. So you can read the exact chemistry behind it, which I thought was really interesting. So if you missed um, part one in this series, because this is part two, you can check that out. And there's a link in the show notes for a link to the pH levels and fruits, which will let you know which fruits are more acidic than others and which ones actually have a naturally high pectin level in them because you're going to need to know that. So any of the things that I'm referencing here, the links to the molecular structure and all that kind of stuff, you can find in the fully transcripted show notes at melissknorris.com. Click on the podcast button, and this is episode number 58, making troubleshooting traditional homemade jams and jellies, part two. So some fruits have enough pectin in them that we don't have to add any extra pectin. So like, for instance, grapes and apples have enough pectin in them that you don't have to add any other pectin source to them. But others need more, like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and strawberries. They, we need to add some other form of pectin. So it can either be from citrus uh, currant juice or green apple. So we need something to boost that pectin level. You can also add store-bought pectin, which I do on occasion, usually just for my savory recipes, though not for my fruit ones. But I really do prefer to use the old-fashioned methods whenever possible. And I get this question. I see this question brought up a lot. And it is, do I have to use sugar to make homemade jams and jellies? Well, you do have to have a form of sugar in there or it's not going to set and it's not going to be a jam or jelly. I personally use organic raw evaporated cane juice when I make mine. I don't use honey because the honey that I have is raw honey. And it's, first off, if I cook it, then it's not going to be raw anymore because I'm going to be destroying all those enzymes and what makes it raw and the beneficialness of raw honey to begin with. And raw honey is just too plain expensive for me to use it in a cooked products. But if you want to use honey, you can use honey in canning. You can use it in your jams and jellies. In fact, the Pomona's pectin gives directions if you want to use honey right in its directions. It breaks it down on, on there for you. Now, I personally haven't, so I can't give you advice on the end of using honey in your jams and jellies. But if anybody is listening and you do, I would love, absolutely love for you to pop into the blog post, the show notes on this, and in the comments, give your advice on doing that for other people. Because I know there's some people who do like to use honey. And so I would love it if you would share with us on how to do that part. Now, another option rather than using sugar is you can use frozen concentrated unsweetened fruit juice. So again, this is still going to have technically sugar in it, but it's not store, it's not processed sugar. So what I jokingly call my canning Bible <laughs> is the Ball Complete Book of Home Preserving because I it's kind of my go-to that I go to a lot. So if you don't have a copy of that, I do highly recommend it. It gives several recipes that use only frozen concentrated unfruited or excuse me unsweetened fruit juice and no sugar in it. It has quite a few action. It gives directions on and then how how much of the frozen concentrated juice to use and that. So if you want to just use fruit juice, you can do that as well. And the reason that you want to use the frozen concentrated juice is because if you try to use regular juice, it's not going to have enough of the sugar in it, hence the concentrated part, and you're going to have to cook it down for 
forever to get enough of the water and it evaporated out to leave enough sugar to get a set. So that's the reason that you use the concentrated form. And the only, I think I mentioned this before, but the only store-bought pectin I use is the pomenus pectin because it's a natural citrus pectin. It doesn't have any questionable ingredients added to it. And it's the only pectin that you, it uses calcium water for the set and not a lot of sugar. So you can make truly low sugar jams and jellies with it. So that's the other reason that I like to use that as well. So not only do we have to have the correct amount of the three main ingredients for their, our set, which I mentioned is the sugar, acid, and pectin, but we have to get them to the correct temperature in order for them to set because this is when it hits that temperature is when all those molecules um, begin to change enough to create the gelling factor. So jam and jelly set at a temperature of 220 degrees Fahrenheit or 104 degrees Celsius. I'm from America and Fahrenheit is like the only way my brain works. So <laughs> most of my references you're going to find are going to be Fahrenheit. So 220 degrees. Now, the, the very easiest way and the most accurate way to do this is to use a candy thermometer, a glass candy thermometer. I use my glass candy thermometer all the time because I make yogurt every week and I use it for that and candy making. I know, shocking right there that I would use a glass candy thermometer when I'm making candy, but especially when I'm making jams, jellies, syrups, and fruit spreads. And it's less than seven bucks and it's one of my most regular used kitchen tools. So if you don't have one, I highly recommend grabbing one. It's a very useful tool. It's important too to note with canning that if you're at a high altitude, so if you are at a thousand feet above sea level, then you actually need to adjust your canning times for almost every canning recipe. So what you do is you need to subtract two degrees for every a thousand feet above sea level. So if you if you're higher, you know, say you're three thousand feet above sea level, then you're going to minus four degrees from that 220, so 116, or excuse me, 216. So you'll want to find a good chart. And most, almost all current canning books, if you are at high altitude, have the charts in there that you need and will tell you how to adjust all of your canning recipes. So if you are a thousand feet above sea level, know that you need to adhere to those directions for high altitude canning. So when I'm doing homemade jam and jelly and pretty much any cooking really is I make sure and I use a heavy bottomed pot so that it doesn't scorch as easily or burn. So sugar will scorch very fast actually and you want to keep it. So making jam and jelly is not something that you put on the stove and you just occasionally check. It's something that you have to keep a pretty close eye on. So you need to stay in the kitchen. I mean you can pop out for a minute but don't try to go do something in another room in the house and then come back. Make sure you stay near it. You want to stir it often. You don't have to constantly stir it, but you want to keep it moving often so that the part that's sitting on the bottom nearest the heat source doesn't scorch and burn. Because trust me, no one likes the taste or the smell of burnt sugar in their kitchen or in their jam. So if you don't have a glass candy thermometer, because yours might break uh, or you just don't have one and you don't can't get one right now and you're like, hey, I've got all these berries going and I want to get to making my jam or my jelly. So there are two old-fashioned ways that you can test the set on your jam or the gel, either term there. And you guys know I have a thing for old-fashioned ways, so I just have to include them because I love old, old-fashioned tips and tidbits are one of my favorite things. Number one is called, and this is probably the most common, it's called the sheet test. So if you've ever heard anybody use that term before, 
I'm going to explain what it is. And this is the one that I actually use the most often. And you just take a large metal spoon, and it doesn't need to be metal, and put it in the fridge or the freezer, especially if you forgot to put it in the fridge right when you started. You can throw it in the freezer for a quicker chill. (laughs) But when you begin making your jam, just put, and I usually put a couple, actually, just in case I need to test it multiple times so that the one is still nice and cold. Put a couple in the fridge or the freezer when you begin making your jam. Now, when your jam has been cooking and you think that it's probably getting close to the set time, which usually is at least for 10 minutes, you want to take and dip the spoon into the hot jam or jelly, and then you want to hold it up so that it's sideways and the jam can drip off the side or the edge of the spoon. So if it just runs off, it's not ready. It's not anywhere close to gelling or setting. Now, if you have some large drops that are kind of hanging off of the edge of the spoon, it means you're almost there. So you'll want to let it keep cooking for a little bit longer. And the sheeting is when the jelly or jam starts to drip off the edge of the spoon in one continuous sheet instead of individual drops, hence the name sheet test. So that's the one that I usually use the most. Now, another test that you can do is to do a cold plate test. So just take a small saucer or small plate and put it in the freezer when you start making your jam. And then when you think it's ready to test, just I just take a small spoonful of jam and plop it in the center of the chilled plate and then stick it in the freezer for a minute. Then pull it out and using the edge of your finger, you can push against the edge of the jam with the tip of your finger. And if it wrinkles up on the surface where you've pushed next to your the end of your finger, then it's set. Or you can run your finger through it, so through the center of your spoonful of jam. And if it stays separated, then it's set. So those are two tips. Um, When you're doing these tests, especially the cold plate test because it takes a little bit longer, pull your jam onto a burner, a cool burner that's not on, that's not going, so you don't overcook it if it is indeed at the gel stage from your test and you don't want to keep cooking it beyond that point where you're testing. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows that you want to make sure you are subscribed to MelissaKNorris.com because I have five of my favorite old-fashioned traditional recipes in the Ultimate Home Food Preservation Guide that you can grab access to right now. So if you've got jams and jellies going on, I've got a strawberry, I've got cherry, I've got grape, I've got blueberry and apple. And so you can get going with those right now. And so it has all my tips and stuff and exact measurements on those. Plus, it has, at this point, I think it's over 130 plus different resources and guides to preserving food at home. Everything from canning to hydrating, freezing, salt curing, root cellaring, all that. So if putting up food at home is something that you're interested in, you want to make sure that you grab your free copy and get access to that, which you can do in the show notes. So another thing to remember too is old-fashioned jams and jellies will set up as they cool. So when you do your sheet test or your cold plate or it reaches the glass thermometer temperature of 220 degrees, it might not look like it's really thick and gelled, but as it cools, and usually as you're pouring it into the jars to can, you'll start to see it, especially when you get to the end and you're filling the very last jar, you'll see on the edge of your pot, you'll see where um, it's starting to gel up. So just remember as it cools, it's going to set up even more. And we need to have now some troubleshooting tips to use when your jam won't set. It's just not setting. You're doing these tests and it's it's not reaching the gel point. You have a couple of options. The first is to simply let it cook for about three to five more minutes and then test it again. 
And I generally have to let my no store-bought pectin low sugar recipes cook for about 20 to 25 minutes. So if you've let yours cook for 20 minutes and it's not showing any signs of gelling, then I would suggest that you add a quarter to a half cup more of sugar or a tad bit more acid, such as lemon or lime juice, by about a teaspoon or two. And then cook it for another three to five minutes. You incorporate, stir that in, get it all incorporated in, and then test it again. If it's still not gelling, I'd add another half cup of sugar. And this is especially true with the lower sugar recipes that I like to stick with. Sometimes you just need more sugar. The fruit, when it was picked, might not have been left, um, you know, as long on the vine. It just might not have as high of sugar concentrate in the fruit because, you know, every year is going to be a little bit different. So you might just need to add a little bit more sugar to it and then you're going to get your gelling point. And another caveat too is when you're picking your fruit, and this is especially nice when you're either growing it yourself or you go to a U-pick farm and you're actually the one that's picking and harvesting the fruit, is for jam and jelly making, we actually don't want it all ripe because the unripe fruit has a higher level of natural pectin in it. So you want to do about a quarter of the berries that maybe aren't quite all the way ripe, they're a little bit underripe, in with your ripe ones. And that's going to give you a little bit higher natural pectin. So if you thought your jam and jelly had set, you did the test and you thought that it was set, but once it's all cooled, you realize that it's not really set. It's still a, a lot more runny than you prefer. And one thing to remember, when you're making the traditional homemade jam and jellies that doesn't use store-bought commercial pectin, they don't get quite as firm, generally speaking. Now, my grape and blueberry jelly gets really firm, really easy, but some of the others, with like the strawberries and raspberry, it doesn't get quite as firm. So it's okay. It should still be hold together and be spreadable. But if it's not quite as firm as store-bought, don't think that something is is wrong because it's just not going to get that way. But if you thought that it had set and it's still really runny, um, you got one option is you can just go ahead and can it up as syrup. Or you can put it back in the pot, bring it back to a boil, and add more sugar, like a half a cup of more sugar, or more of the natural pectin source. So this could be a couple tablespoons more of a grated citrus peel, lemon or lime are usually my two favorites. Or you can grate up a green apple or crab apples. Crab apples actually usually have quite a bit of natural pectin in them. The key when you're grating up the apple is you don't want to put the seeds in there, obviously, or the stem, but you do want especially the peel because most of the pectin is in the peel and in part of the core. So just make sure that you get out the anything that's going to be crunchy, hence the seeds, <laughs> when you're making it. So those are your those are your options. Um, or of course, if you just really can't get it to set, is you could use some of the pomona's pectin with it. But I don't ever use that with my fruit ones. It always sets for me. And that brings me to our verse of the week. So I don't know about you guys, but lately, when I look at my Facebook feed or the news, if yours is anything like mine, it's kind of filled with things that make us at least me, apprehensive, or if given enough time to sit and think about it, I flat out start to get worried. We're actually in a drought kind of condition here in the Pacific Northwest, which is not normal for us. We didn't get hardly any snowpack, no snowpack actually this year where we're at. I mean, our mountain stayed bare. It was quite odd. So we just don't have the snowpack that we normally would, and it's been an extremely hot June and really, really dry. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. And I've lived here for 34 years. So 
you know, we're on our own private well and it's fairly deep, but if we don't get any rain and there's none in the forecast through, you know, the end of August, which usually July and August are quite dry for us, not this early in the year, you know, we don't know how long our well is going to go. And of course, with the 4th of July and all the summer stuff coming up, you know, the threat of forest fires, because we have a lot of um, brush and forests around where we live here, that's very real as well. And then I worry about having enough food put up to feed my family. Now water, especially in these conditions, you know, what the state of our country is going to be in in years, if not even months down the road. There's a lot that we can worry about, you guys. (laughs) And just about the time that I start to get myself really worked up, the Lord is so good to remind me not to worry about these things. And this is where I have the chance, and so do you, to decide if my faith is really real. If I'm going to trust him and not just trust him with some things or in some situations or, you know, when things are going right or everything's fairly going good, but in all things. And so I want to leave you with this verse. I read this this morning and it just really cemented itself in my heart and is one that I've been keeping close and rereading and that I think will bring inspiration to you as well. And that's to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that is Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I would love to hear any of your comments or suggestions or questions that you might have in the show notes. And I always answer those. So I look forward to talking with you and to hearing about you getting your jam on. Thanks, guys.